in chat radio. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and every week we bring you the best in healthcare talk radio, and we arm you with the information that you'll need so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family, fight for your health care freedom. And our show is sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is dedicated to the preservation of the doctor-patient relationship and the fight for health care freedom. Um, we uh, are a 501c3 organization, which means that we are a nonprofit um, organization. We are the only physician-led healthcare think tank led by practicing physicians. There's lots of organizations that do healthcare, but we're the only ones that are run by doctors who are practicing, who know about your healthcare, who know what it's like to take care of you and understand your problems. And so I think that uh, that makes us unique, and we're um, uh, in need of your help. So please go to our website, d4pcfoundation.org, d4pcfoundation.org, and look through our information. Look at our prescription for health care reform. This predated any of the, um, the uh, efforts, any of the um, plans that came out. In fact, it was presented to Paul Ryan when he before he was even the budget chairman when we were going to Washington back in 2010 and before that and we gave this to him and he said yes I agree with everything and so he's incorporated that into his messaging so please go to our website we we need your help if you enjoy this radio show and what we do each week myself and my co-host Dr. Mike Karuchik and you um, want uh, you want to uh, support an organization that is fighting for you and fighting for your health care, please generously support the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Today, I have uh, a special guest, a friend of mine, um, someone who I've worked closely with, Dr. Brian Hill. Uh, hi, Brian. Welcome into the Doctor's Lounge. Hal, thank you so much. I can't say how much excitement I have for being here with you. Well, likewise. Uh, and and I, I want to just say, Brian is a practicing urologist, as am I. Um, we don't practice together, but we work together in um, healthcare advocacy. We've we've done this together for years and years. And and uh, in the spirit of full disclosure, I need to uh, um, uh, disclose that today we're going to be talking about, uh, in, as part of this conversation, a, uh, a startup that uh, Brian and I have uh, uh, launched along with uh, another one of our good friends and partners, Dr. Jeffrey English, who's also been on this show, and uh, uh, another partner, a healthcare attorney, um, um, Davis Butler. And uh, it's very exciting, and we'll talk about it, but I... But, um, uh, Brian is the medical director and the president, CEO. He wears all these hats, but not uh, not CEO, but he, he runs the show. And uh, it's because Brian has so much passion for this issue. And so we're in, I just want to uh, uh, thank Brian for all of his hard work. And, and uh, he really uh, has, has uh, the best intentions for his patients and for all patients. And what we're doing, I think, is innovative, but we're going to 
cover that and a lot of other uh, topics in today's show. Brian, we're in a uh, hopefully in a new era for uh, healthcare. I think that uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, isn't there? Well, I agree. It's, it was interesting. We were having a meeting this past weekend with a, a group of physicians that we're working with on trying to bring a, a new innovative product forward in healthcare. And and one of the physicians so aptly said that there's a new sheriff in town, and and hopefully this new sheriff creates some pathways to allow the independent practitioners and the private practice of medicine to to continue. So I think there's some excitement in the air for physicians in in the direction of the current. Uh, uh, Congress and, and certainly the presidency. So speaking of the presidency, we're six days. It seems like much longer than that. But we're six days into the Trump era. What do you see regarding health care that you like so far and what concerns you? Well, I think the, the interesting thing, and, and I think when I sit back and I took a look, take a look at health care, I try to minimize my looking into D.C., uh, certainly, the the things that happen in DC are going to be important for us as physicians, as patients. You know, as we see a, a movement in our healthcare system, I think some of the things that are happening in DC with regards to to perhaps Congressman Price being, you know, taking the nomination for the the uh, Health and Human Services Secretary is going to create some freedom in healthcare. It's going to create some more market based approaches and and you know solutions for for healthcare. I, I look for really Washington, D.C. To, to unhinge and give us some freedom uh, to be entrepreneurs in healthcare to help do what happens in any other kind of entrepreneurial environment. You know, allow those who have unique new ideas to try to improve a product to be able to step forward and bring that product into the marketplace to help the customers be able to access a better product than what they've ever been able to before. And, and I think D.C. and some of the movement that's going on in the Capitol is going to hopefully create some freedom in that space. Ultimately, I think it's up to us to be the people that actually bring forward that product. I know that you've um, in the past made some uh, some noise about wanting to run for political office. And um, let's, let's just pretend that you are the uh, nominee for HHS secretary. So, Secretary Hill, what would be your plan for fixing health care out of the gate and long term? I think there was just a shudder that went through the entire uh, country right there with that <laughs> statement. Uh, <laughs> the, so, so big, uh, big, big, big kind of look. Again, I guess I would go back to, to this. The, the thing that I would like to see out of HHS and just some, some simple, certainly some simple maneuvering and some simple things that can even happen at the federal level, you know, is, is certainly unhinging HSAs and health savings accounts, you know, allowing you know, the, the utilization of people's own financial health care resources to, to be able to go and, and spend that money in the way that they see fit and, and expand the, the amount of money that they can put into HSAs. So I, I think unhinging and freeing up HSAs would certainly be a, a helpful thing. The, the problem that comes in this and, and is that if I sit back and I take a look at the healthcare system and try to figure out where do I see some of this disease in the system and where can our Congress work and where, where can they not work, it's the construct itself that's wrong. The, the construct needs to be remodeled. And, and I don't necessarily look to Washington, D.C. To, to remodel healthcare. They're not an innovative body. You know, and so, so it's kind of hard to say this is what I want HHS to do. There's some small things. What do you mean by construct? Well, right, we live in, in this kind of idea of a third-party payer mix in healthcare, care. And, and we've got this insurance product 
that that acts as an intermediary between the consumer, the patient, you know, and the physician to to create the payment model between those two bodies. And the problem with insurance is that if that insurance product extends into every aspect of healthcare, it adds to cost. It inhibits innovation. And so insurance always used to be there to protect us against rare, high-cost, catastrophic events. That, that's the point of insurance. Well, if insurance starts stepping into places that are not rare, high-cost, catastrophic events, but are rather more daily occurrences and things that we can plan for on an annual basis, well, insurance touch, touching those things, and it just drives the price of that product up. And so the construct change, in certainly my estimation, is that we need to take a third-party payer mix, move that out of the outpatient space of healthcare delivery, and allow that outpatient space of healthcare delivery to change its vision from the customer being the insurer or the government, if it will be, in a third-party payer, and put that our eyes back onto the customer, our patients, and say, how can we create a great product for you? And, and that's where we start unhinging, I think, this outpatient space of healthcare and now allow us to really create the price transparency, the innovation, the, the access to care, the competition in the marketplace, all of the things that have done tremendous work in every other marketplace. That's why we both sit here and have wonderful cell phones beside us that have our, our tremendous pieces of technology. The market drove that. So let me say this a different way. So if we um, have auto insurance and we want the auto insurance to pay for our oil changes and our windshield wipers, it's going to cost a fortune. But if we instead try to use our insurance only when we have to use it, like when we need a, when we, when we total our car or when our transmission falls out on the ground, then that that's what insurance is really meant for. It's meant for those unusual, uncalculated events that that uh, that are going to be expensive, and the same is going to be true for healthcare. It's going to be the the rare disease, or it's going to be the the auto accident where you have broken four limbs and you're going to be laid up for a while. Yes, it, it, imagine in that discussion about the you know if we had automobile insurance that covered every aspect of our car. Imagine what if you went into your your dealership or you went to your mechanic. And, and, and how to change your tires on your car. And right now we pay for the changing the tires on our car and we know the price of the tires and we pay the- and we shop for And it. we shop for it. We find the best price. We make sure we can have checked the quality of the tires that we're buying, you know, and we pay the mechanic directly for that. Well, imagine in that mechanic's office is if that office also had to include a person that had to code and bill, you know, for those tires, had to negotiate with a third party payer you know, for those tires. It had to, that, you know, but when that person sent out a, a process to say, I want to get paid because I just replaced, you know, Dr. Scherz's tires on his car and, and, the, and the person that pays them said, nope, we're going to deny that claim. So you have to file that claim again. And imagine all the back and, office. And is it, aren't tires a right? So everybody, <laughs> so, so, so the government should pay everybody for their tires. Well, that's certainly some of the discussion. And the sad part becomes in that space is that all of a sudden, all of that back office that now gets built into that mechanic space starts adding the cost to the product that they're bringing forward so that the tires might have been, you know, $200 to change the four tires on the car. But now because the mechanic has to have four or five, six people behind the scenes trying to make sure they get paid and negotiating contracts, that now makes those tires 
$600, the, $700, the, the price becomes distorted because of all the, the excess burden. All the hands in, in this product. Exactly. You know, this, this, is, this is a great lead into the question that I was going to ask you, which is why is health care so expensive? Well, what, what we're talking about right now is in health care, though. Right. What we're talking about is health insurance. Right. And, and, and sadly, that's all anybody is talking about in print media, on, on, in the air, on blogs, in Congress. This is all focused on insurance. It's not on health care. So why is health care so expensive? Well, and, and, and it's exactly that discussion that you mentioned right there that, that it's the semantics that matter so much and the difficulty that sometimes comes in this conversation about health care versus health insurance is that we, we mix those two words together. And we need to be very, very certain and very, very firm in our, in our conversational pieces that we're trying to create access to health care. Access to health insurance, and you know that as well as I, and I'm sure many have said this on the show, but those two are not the same. And so we got to get access to, to health care. And, 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 and my dream, my goal, the reason I sit and do everything that I do, and I'm sure Hal does everything he does, is that, you know, we, we love medicine. We love health care. We love the patients that we get to take care of every day and, and our it's goal. It's, it's an a, honor. It, truly. And most doctors feel that way. Yes, yes. And, and it is, is that drive to, to find a way to fix the system, to find the disease in the system, make it better, that's what drives us to talk. It's not a political process. It's, it is the, the love of providing high-quality health care to people. Uh, so, so do you want me to go into the, the little – We'll do that in the next segment because we're coming up onto a hard break. But this is exactly what drives me crazy because people are disingenuous about it or they don't understand it. And that's where people like you and I are vital to educate people on what the real problems are. And we're going to go into some of those problems and, more importantly, the solutions when we get back in the next segment on the Doctor's Lounge. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being with us today in the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. My guest today is Brian Hill, a very busy um, uh, community urologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and the 
uh, CEO, or the, I, it's, I guess your title would be president and medical director. Yes. Of of uh, Hip Nation, which we're going to talk about in this in this segment, and we're going to talk about some solutions um, for some of the problems that we identified in the first segment, which is high cost of health care. We also talked about high cost of health insurance, and uh, and so. You know, I asked the question, Brian, about about why is healthcare so expensive? Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, insurance is one of the contributors. The other contributor, and I like you know, I I don't I there are no sacred cows with me. I like to I'm an equal opportunity offender, much like our president. And so you know, the the uh, insurance industry they are rogues. They they have raped the healthcare. Um, um, Healthcare system, which is a three point two trillion dollar annual economy, and they have you know made billions and billions of dollars out of that. But one of the other villains are the hospitals, who have been given the keys to the kingdom by Washington and by state government to allow them to uh, concentrate healthcare in their hands. And what happens when that occurs? Prices go up. It, it is interesting, and, and certainly most like most industries. I mean, industries have stakeholders, and and healthcare, like all, has had these long term stakeholders in, in in managing it. And the stakeholders include whether it's pharmacy, you know, whether it's the hospital industry, whether it's the insurance industry, and and each of those are are very engaged in the model the way it currently is, and have been very engaged in actually developing incentivized it. Incentivized to continue it. Yes. And and as a result of that, over time, they've become very ensconced in the way the system is and have found ways to to continue to manipulate the system so that they always get paid. And and it's interesting if you look back at the breakdown over the past 30, 40 years of, the, of hospitals and the percent of the dollar that they get of, of health care, it's been pretty stable over the past 40, 50 years. And you can say the same about you, right? Yes. Yes, right, doctors. A, sure. It's a, well, and doctors are are part of the in a fixed system. The, the no, but we're getting we're getting our income is is proportionally going down, down and that's why doctors are selling their practices to yes. hospitals. And 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 so the the everybody as stakeholders in a system are going to follow the the laws, the rules of the system. Now, some of those big stakeholders help write the laws. Uh, that's the part of big government, and this is where I never quite understand that. If you're not a big believer in the, the large insurance lobby or the, the hospital lobby, that yet you believe in big government, the, those two actually kind of all go hand in hand. Uh, and so I think uh, you know, if you tell me that you're not a big fan of, of, of big insurance, well, then I'm not sure how you can be a fan of, of the Affordable Care Act because you know big insurance loves the Affordable Care Act. So somebody you know told the society that you have to buy the widget that's made by, by big insurance or we're going to sue you that, that's, or you're going to get fined. That that's not a bad gig no. uh, when when the government tells you you've got to buy my product. So so you know this is this is really um, the, where we're at right now. I think is is the fork in the road because we can either keep doing what we're doing and just rearrange, as I like to say, the chairs on the Titanic. I've stolen that line from someone. Who said, who said that? But that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're mm-hmm. trying to change Obamacare, which is just the worst of the worst mm-hmm. of trying to cobble together things to cater to special interests in health care and ostensibly provide care 
to some people who didn't have it or subsidized care for some people who couldn't afford it at the expense of everybody else and change it to another system which is overseen by people who have an interest in the status quo, just doing it a little bit differently, or we can do something different. Right. And that's what brings me to my next question. What is disruptive innovation? So I'll hit you. Actually, let me hit this, and then I'll hit you with disruptive innovation. The interesting thing, we, we talked about the cost in healthcare, and I think some interesting numbers that – we just need to pause and, and, and we throw these numbers around, but we need to pause and, and hear what they really mean. So, so the, the Harvard Business Review looked at, at the work, the labor cost behind every physician. You know, the, the cost of us interacting with the industry of healthcare, the, the insurance industry, the, the federal government, and, and all of those workers behind us cost about $832,000 per physician. Every doctor has $832,000 of, of legacy costs associated with them every year. And, and that's not because of the physician being able to take care of you. That is because the physician is having to interact with the industry of health care. And so we talk about why, why is there so much cost in health care? Well, if you have a million physicians with $832,000 in labor costs associated with every physician just to deal with the industry of health care, that's a tremendous amount of money, you know, just to allow a physician to sit in the exam room and talk to a patient. And, and imagine if we said we can change all of those costs and get that, that $832,000 off of every physician because that payment, that 832000 comes from people's premiums, the prices of health care, the cost that they pay to come in and, 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 and have a physical exam. And so, so there's huge costs associated with every physician. Every physician behind them has about 16 full-time equivalent employees, uh, not, not with the physician themselves, but actually dealing with the industry in the industry of health care, in the insurance industry, in the federal government industry. It, it, there's tremendous costs associated with every physician because they have to interact with this current construct that is health care. Uh, and so, so that's huge costs that aren't even in the physician office because those are separate costs that within the physician office, you know, an average primary care doctor has almost five full-time equivalent employees to code and bill and prior authorize and pre-certify to do things that, that make sure that that primary care physician gets paid. So the, the, this model, you know, of, of a third-party payer mix, this model where, where physicians have to deal with the industry of healthcare is a very expensive model. So, so the idea in a, in a, disruption and innovation is that you know our stakeholders are set our government is set they they see healthcare the way healthcare is people know what they know those that innovate say can we do this better we don't have to follow this box that's been set you know and so the idea of innovation is taking a look at at a delivery model a de- delivery system and, and saying is there something that we aren't doing? Is there something we can separate from, something different that we can do? We don't have to follow the same game that's been laid out. We can create a new box ourselves. And and if we can find a way to create this new box ourselves, and certainly in healthcare, find a way to, to take the cost out of healthcare and get rid of some of the inhibition of innovation that happens as of us having to interact with the industry of healthcare, if we can separate that out and create a new product innovative, then can we step into the marketplace of healthcare and turn it on its head. So what did Albert Einstein say? That the definition of insanity doing is the same thing, over, the and over, same again. thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So we've got to change we got to change our model. Medicine is about looking at symptoms and taking those symptoms and diagnosing disease. 
most of our politicians and most of what happens even in, you know, kind of even at the national level, state level, is that they see symptoms and they manage the symptoms. You know, they, they see a high cost problem, so they're going to try to manage cost by creating more external pressures to try to drive price down. Access. Access. They're going to create access to health insurance. They're going to subsidize people to buy insurance in order to access a high cost health care product. They see quality issues, and so they're going to create some random, you know, third parties, up, bureaucrats up there to tell us what quality health care really looks like. And macro. Macro. To MIPS. be able to show, to show metrics so that we can prove quality. Yes, and you and I know those are just check boxes. Those are putting boxes onto a computer chart to say, yep, I can I can always look like I'm pro- providing quality care by checkboxing, but does it really mean I'm providing quality care? So no. so those stakeholders take a look at this system the way it is and go, we're going to try to tweak these symptoms, but you and I understand and realize and, and our fellow physicians understand and realize that if we treat symptoms, we never cure anything. And diseases progress if we just treat symptoms. Band-aids. We band-aid stuff. And the problem is, is in, I do cancer work. and You if, can't cure the patient if you don't cut out the tumor. And it, and it gets worse. And eventually the patient's going to die. And so our job, and this is where medicine is so very different, and this is where I think, Hal, you said it so very well when we were talking previously, that, that it, we as physicians can sit back and we can learn health policy and we can learn health economics and we can do our reading to understand you know, the, those aspects of what it is to, to work in that arena. But it's very, very difficult and probably near impossible to have a healthcare economist understand what it like, means to be a doctor. Right. And, and, and we have, therefore, a very unique perspective because our training is about finding disease. And so when I look at trying to create an innovative model, innovating in healthcare, it is what is the disease that's causing high cost, access problems, quality problems, disparities of care? What is, what is making Medicaid a terrible you know, insurance product because people can't access healthcare with Medicaid and the health outcomes in Medicaid are, are horrendous? That is a, a pox on our society and pox on our healthcare system, but it's the system that's the problem and we've got to find a way to find the disease in a system fix that through innovation, and then disrupt the system, turn it on its and head. And shame on the politicians for trying to make the the people who don't want to expand Medicaid into villains. They want to give the worst health care to people and pretend that they're actually helping them. Yes, it's the mouth speak. And that, that, that's why we start turning red in our faces when we start having conversations because we understand that and we understand that and, and have that full belief that, that our job as a society you know, is not to create a right of health care. Our job as a society is to try to find a way to bring forward a health care product that is low cost, high quality, and accessible, creating a right and having somebody, you know, having a, a federal government body, you know, take money to, to say you've got the right to health care by giving you a, a terrible health insurance product is not access to health care. We missed the point again. You, you sound like Tom Price during the, during the Senate hearings because he's saying the exact same thing. He's saying when asked, are you going to guarantee that you're going to give health care to everybody? And what does he say? I'm going to give access to health care. And that's what we're talking We've about. We've got to fix health care. So what's disruptive innovation? So disruptive innovation is taking this model of health care and, and taking a look at it and realigning that health care ecosystem, you know, into one that, that unhinges, frees up 
physicians and patients to realign that 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 relationship into the proper economic incentive to start looking at where insurance really should exist in this space of of healthcare putting it back into its proper space and by reformatting rechanging this healthcare ecosystem into one you know that that has proper market alignments proper incentives gets rid of some of the moral hazards that's associated with our current system and building it again then we can really innovate in a way to drop the price of health care, improve the access to health care, improve the quality of care delivery, and then grow rapidly in order to take over the outpatient health care system into a way that's much more effective. Well, you know, in, I th- I'm, I'm sold. You got me right there, and, and you know that because we're working together. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to talk about what you and I and some other people have uh, um, bought into and, and actually uh, have created when we get back in the next segment on the Doctor's Lounge. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back in the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and my guest today is Dr. Brian Hill. Um, We've been talking about uh, some general concepts about health care today. We've been talking about the high cost, the problems with um, the current system, the stakeholders who are benefiting, and uh, why this current model is is letting down patients, and uh, and it, it's just unsustainable um, the way it is. And so, what uh, Brian has uh, shepherded, and uh, he's brought along people like myself and like uh, Dr. Jeffrey English to create a. Uh, a, a model and full disclosure we're doing this as a separate startup so I don't want anybody to to think that we're trying to promote this particular model or this particular business but what I think I, the reason why I wanted Brian on the show today is to talk about this concept mm-hmm. because there is um, 
a a revolution going on in healthcare right now that uh, is is um, picking up steam, and that's direct primary care. And you've heard about this on this show time and time and time again. Um, and the Docs for Patient Care Foundation um, very much believes in this model. We put on a uh, meeting in Dallas uh, in uh, October, which uh, Brian was part of. Um, and it, it's at that meeting, it, I think that there was probably more enthusiasm and more positive energy than in any other medical meeting that I have seen probably in 20 years. Would you agree? I would wholeheartedly agree. You know, it's interesting. If you look around medicine right now and you talk to, I think, a lot of physicians out there, as Hal and, and I both do, I think the, one of the common themes that you hear is physician burnout. Physicians say they've, they've lost their joy of practicing medicine again. Yes. And it's not because the medicine that we practice is, is, is not as great as it's always been. It's that the external pressures of the industry of healthcare and the government regulatory burden and, and all the bureaucracy has just created such a burden that that burnout is a coming across everybody's lips. And to go to this meeting and, and, and talking about healthcare freedom and actually physicians being doctors Empowering again. Empowering doctors. It was, it was people were, were, you know, just ecstatic. You could see an extra skip in their step where they're going, I actually get to be a doctor again. I went to, I get to do what I went to medical school to do. I get to take care of a patient, not have to worry about whether an insurance company tells me I can and can't do X, Y, and Z. Uh, I actually get to talk with my patient and spend 45 minutes getting to know my patient instead of having seven minutes to see a patient and move on to the next patient. I mean, it, it was a, a very exciting thing to see, and I think that is why you know this movement is is one that is growing so rapidly in healthcare because doctors get to be doctors. Over 4,400 doctors are now engaged in direct primary care. Either they've completely transitioned their practice or they're in the process of doing so. They have hybrid practices. And it is going to save family medicine because if you if you um, query medical students, you ask them what specialties they want to go or what they want to do when they finish medical school, more than 50% of them were going into specialty medicine. And why is that? Because primary care medicine was such a burden. They mm-hmm. weren't getting paid. They were, there was so much restriction on what they're doing that uh, it was, uh, it, it was uh, inhibiting people from uh, going into an, a field where they may have actually thought about going into at one point, but they realized that uh, they didn't want to continually butt their heads up against the wall. And, and I think that, that a lot of people into that primary care space and then looking into that primary care space, yeah, they, they would look at it and, and go, I, I just, all I'm doing is kind of moving people along. I'm trying to take care of uh, acute illnesses that arise. I'm, I'm not actively engaged in people's lives. I mean, they're, they're just not getting to do. That's the joy of medicine is the interaction it with is. the patient. Spending seven minutes and, and, and with somebody and writing a prescription for them and, and having them well, go back their way. being on your computer and not looking at them. Exactly. That's not engagement and so if, if you look at Medscape just released a survey and you'll see these over and over again you know the the number three and four on that list for physician burnout behind OB and behind uh, ER are, are primary care and internal medicine and pediatricians awful that's awful that is awful and what's most awful about this is that 
the primary care doctors don't have time to take care of their patients. So what happens? They don't become, they're not doctors anymore. They become pass-throughs, what we call in medicine triage officers. And so they find a problem, and then they just ship them off to the specialist instead of taking care of them like they used to do when you and I were children and we went to doctors. And 80% of health care is really a primary care event. Yes. You know, it's interesting. And, and, and I saw a study, and I can't remember where, but the, the study gist of it was that primary care physicians work to about 30% of their licensure. You know, they're too busy being administrators. They're too busy on their computers. They're too busy seeing too many people to really utilize the full extent of their training. You know, and, and that's a shame. And as a result, yes, they, they, they triage things out. They send things out that they can manage. And if you look at the healthcare system, what does that do? It, it, rise, it raises the cost. Lost. Right, and it's worse care because it actually is is um, clogging up the offices of specialists who can't see the people who really need to see them. Yes, and I look in my office and I'll ask some of my spe- my friends who work in the specialty space, and, and I of course always tell people that I think you need a lot less than me and a lot more primary care doctors. So, but but that being said, you know I, I look around my office and fifty sixty percent of the patients that I see don't need to be there. Right. It's something that can be hand- managed in the primary care office space. They're just too busy. And, and, and that's a shame that that is the case. And, it's and bad for the patient. It's bad for the patient because there's not the continuity of care that they need. It, it, they miss a day of work to come and see me. They they pay to come and see me. And, and if we can find a way to get the primary care doctors to get back to being a physician and work to the extent of their licensure, and then we can really find a way, again, to, to start improving care. So direct primary care is is one of the ways that that can happen but that's only part of the of the disruptive innovation in healthcare because that only even though it accounts for 80% of healthcare people always say well what about if i need to see my cardiologist what about if i need to get an mri scan you know what if i live 6 hours away and i can't get to the doctor and everybody has their own personal what if so so direct primary care is great as a starting point but we need to go further and i think that you came up with this concept that does go further, and why don't you tell us about it? Sure. When we sit back and look at, at innovation, you know, within healthcare, and there are innovative aspects within healthcare, and you know, we've got access cost quality issues within healthcare. And if you say, okay, I want to try to create an innovative access point, well, I can do that through concierge medicine, where where somebody pays a retainer fee basically to a physician at a at a high cost, and then and then that physician continues to do insurance. Direct pay care, direct primary care, you know, wonderful concept of, of access to innovation in healthcare. Uh, but if you really want to take an, an idea of, of innovation and make it disruptive, well, then you need to take a look at ecosystems. You, know, you need to take a look at the entirety of, of the spectrum of care delivery because, you know, right now, direct pay primary care and even concierge-based medicine are, are really kind of almost being done in this this missionary selling, if you will. A, primary, a physician converts their office. They try to recruit a couple patients to stay on. They might go to, to church, to synagogue, to the grocery stores and, and try to get patients to come on and participate with them. You know, that that's incremental one thing at a time. And if we want to change an ecosystem, 
then we need to take a look at all component parts, and, and that would include primary care. That'll include outpatient imaging, pharmaceutical products, labs. It'll extend specialists. Extend then yeah, to specialists and get specialists engaged and involved into this. You know, and and by bringing that that outpatient care component parts together, ambulatory surgery into that mix, bringing all of those component parts of going, we've altered the outpatient ecosystem now. And then if we want to create the entirety of the ecosystem, we've got to find a way to make sure we're creating an insurance product that works hand-in-hand with that, that puts insurance back in the space where it's supposed to be for the rare, high-cost, hospital-based catastrophic events, cancer, disease, heart attack, automobile accidents, insurance in that space, and have that insurance product work synergistically with this idea that means, of That means work care. with, for those of you, as Rush likes to say, in Rio Linda. <laughs> The, uh, and that's where you can start now going, all right, now we've created a, a concept of direct pay care in the primary care space, direct pay care for ancillaries of labs, pharmaceutical, and imaging, direct contracting now with specialists for a cash-based rate that's aside, outside of, not engaged, involved with the insurance arena at all. Because just like coming to my office, if you come into my office and I have to put everything through my coding and billing and insurance-based arena, that's going to drive up the price of my product. If we can step out and do direct contracting, an office visit with me as a specialist in urology, it's not something that should bankrupt you. But I ensure that instead of my price being $100, $110, $120, what is that price that you pay me cash? Versus if I bill that to your insurance company at $360, that would be a barrier for a lot of people to come to see you. I'd rather take that price down to $100, $110 and get rid of that extra $250 that's there purely because I've got to be playing in this arena of insurance. So people – so, okay, so there's there's a lot of questions that, that I'd like to um, pose to you. But so with that as a backdrop, how have you and, – and I'm – Stepping aside from a part of HIP and being a an interviewer, how have you tackled this problem? Um, uh, and and uh, in in HIP healthcare, sure. And and so for us in looking at it, well, and I'll and I'll I'll approach this in two different ways. You know, one and 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 again, our goal and and has always been and Hal is is has been just a a, a wonderful outspoken advocate for the patient and the physician. And so all of what we're doing in, in this arena for whether it's hip nation or, or whether it's direct pay care, yeah, it's almost, it's kind of funny. It's a, a, a brotherhood, sisterhood out there of people that, that believe that there's a better way. And, and, and we are all out here, whether it's myself, whether it's Lee Gross, whether it's Josh Umbar, whether it's, you know, there are, are, are you know, proselytizers and, and people that are going, I, I'm sharing what I'm doing because I believe that this is the way there's well, no proprietariness that's the way, with it. That's the way that medicine used to be, right? It was yes. collegial and doctors helped each other. And it's exact, It's it's a throwback to that bygone era where doctors have an idea, direct primary care, and they want to get others on board because they believe that it's the right thing to do. Right. And so what we're trying to do is take that concept of direct pay primary care and put it on steroids. How can we create this uh, as a, a national model? How can we take this concept of, a, of an innovation and an access point to healthcare and expand it that it can grow rapidly at scale, give physicians ability to reach into this space of move, moving into being direct pay care doctors? You know, how do we make that happen 
And, and that is our, our, our goal is to take these wonderful ideas of, of innovation and then be disruptive. And so that's right now most spaces that look at, at, at disrupting a marketplace are going to look for low-hanging fruit. You know, and so the, the, the low-hanging fruit that we see within our, our healthcare environment and the people that are really being pained, you know, by the rising cost is a small business arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, small businesses, individual, uh, individuals, 1099, you know, self, you know, employees out there, you know, people that don't necessarily have that, that bandwidth of the large businesses. And so what we can do, and to try to put this to scale, is take our direct pay care network a primary care physician managing a small cohort of of employees patients and and limiting their panel creating a membership based model you know for that direct pay care approach creating direct cash contracting for medications pharmaceuticals and and imaging doing direct contracting with a specialty group on cash and we can take that healthcare product and go to these small businesses and say let's help you create an insurance product through a self-funding based mechanism that now works synergistically with our healthcare product. You know, now we're starting to to align the entirety of that ecosystem in the outpatient space, and by doing that, that gives us an ability to take this this idea of direct pay primary care and and say we're doing direct pay outpatient care, and and take that and put that on steroids to to allow it to expand. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna drill down and, and get you to be more specific in the last segment when we get back into the doctor's lounge. So please stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're closing out the Doctor's Lounge today in our last segment with Dr. Brian Hill, and we've been talking about healthcare innovation, innovative, uh, disruptive innovation, and um, a new model of healthcare delivery based on direct primary care called um, Hip Nation that uh, Brian is the medical director of, which I'm involved in for full disclosure, so so I want to get that off the table. And we've been um, talking about some um, big, you know, 30,000-foot concepts. And so what I'd like to do, Brian, is drill down in this last segment. And um, we've been approaching employers and saying to them, we can lower your health care costs. So they're going to say, well, how are you going to do that? So I want you to run through two quick scenarios, same patient, 
in the current market versus somebody who comes through Hip Nation. No, this is great. We'll try to put some meat on the bones. I know we've been talking a bit esoterically here. So, so the meat on it. So I'm a urologist, so I'll use my, my world as, as urology and, and, and play two different scenarios. So scenario number one is the, the current insured employer, you know, that, that is paying a, a premium for their employee of, of $7,000 uh, plus a year, average employee carrying a deductible of $2,100 in the small business arena. That, that employee has a family history of prostate cancer. They go see their primary care physician and, and have a PSA drawn. That visit to the primary care physician is going to cost about $150 based upon where they, they are. With their hospital employee physician, you're going to find that it's going to be more. But we'll put $150 as an office visit into that, that and primary And it's January, so they haven't met their deductible, so they're paying everything out of pocket. They're going to get a PSA drawn. That PSA is going to cost them anywhere from $79 to, to, to $99 to get a PSA drawn, just a screening test for prostate cancer. More if their doctor is hospital-owned. That PSA then found, is found to be elevated, and that primary care physician is going to see a high PSA, have a concern regarding prostate cancer, and so they're going to refer that patient to my office. That patient now has to take a half a day off of work, drives to my office, will sit down and have a consultation with me for 15 to 20 minutes about an elevated PSA, and that's going to be charged out to the insurance company anywhere from 280 to $360. And so, again, if that person is having a high-deductible plan, that's, that's going out of that $2,100 that's still out there. I evaluate that patient and say, yep, we need to do a prostate biopsy on you because you have a high PSA and I'm concerned about the presence of prostate cancer. I'm going to take you over to my procedure room and, and we're going to go do a biopsy and that's going to be charged to your insurance company about another $1,100, $1,200 to get that biopsy done. But is that is that going to be for the whole thing or is that just what you're charging and then there are other charges? There's the pathology charge exactly. and other charges. Exactly. That's going to go out to the pathologist. pathologist is going to charge that biopsy anywhere from three to $400 for that biopsy. And then if that biopsy comes back positive and we see a, an aggressive prostate cancer, we're going to schedule you for a CT scan. That CT scan is going to be done at the hospital, which is going to be another $1,900 charge for that CT scan. Cost, 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 cost. That's a, And all of that is, is, is one patient walking through our office, very routine patient. I see multiple of these people a day. It's the most common cancer in men. One out of six guys are going to get struck, struck with this. And so it's, a very, so it's a very common scenario. In that commercial marketplace, we just spent, and I didn't even, I should have added this up as I went away, but we just spent thousands and thousands of dollars in evaluating and diagnosing this gentleman. The gentleman's missed multiple days of work in order to do this. Loss of productivity in the workplace as a result of that. So this also hurts the employer, not only only in claims costs, but also in, in workplace productivity. So now this, this, this employer was smart enough to say, you know what, I like the concept of hip nation. So they, they are working with us, and they send their patient to one of the hip direct primary care doctors. So this patient now has you know, this patient now has a physician that only manages 700 other you know, employees that manages a small cohort of patients. That patient comes in and is found. And how much does it cost him to be to to go to his direct primary care doctor? Zero for that visit. It is a membership fee. So there's an annual membership fee associated with that. You can go see your primary care doctor as often as you like, as often as you need. It's a gym. We like our patients coming to our gym because it makes them healthy. And that membership fee is a hundred dollars a month. A hundred a month to have a doctor, your regular doctor, who will spend 45 minutes with you. With a small panel, cell phone, Skype, telemedicine applications, 
the job of that primary care physician is not to be a physician for the industry of healthcare, but to be a physician for you. Okay. So walk us through. So that patient now pulls in and is found to have an elevated PSA. In Does the PSA get sent out or? or oh, sorry. No, that, yeah. So we got to, instead of spending, thank you very much, you know, instead of spending anywhere from that, that $79 to $99 on that PSA, it's $5.15. Okay. We do direct cash-based contracting. So when that patient comes in and has that PSA drawn, it's, it's, we, it's cash. You pay cash when you walk in and have that PSA done. But we have gone through the, the trouble, as have direct primary care yes. doctors around the country, of working on arrangements with laboratories and imaging centers to find out, okay, if you didn't have to deal with insurance, how much does this really cost you? Bottom line dollars. How much can you do this for if we put a whole bunch of people through your center? Yes, exactly. And, and it shows you how ridiculously high the prices are in healthcare. And, and while people go, oh, my insurance is paying that. No, you are. Yes. Your insurance is not a nice little happy entity. They're taking your money and spending your money. They're just doing it poorly. Yes. And, and so let's go back. So now, now the PSA was drawn for five dollars and fifteen cents. So we've already knocked you know a good you know ninety bucks off or seventy bucks off of the the, the charge. PSA is elevated. That primary care physician. We've actually created a curbside consultation service that's available for our our primary care physician, so that they'll actually can send me an email, text call if there's an issue that needs to be dealt with urgently and say, hey, Brian, I've got this gentleman that came in. He's got a bump in his PSA from 2.8 to 4.1. I'm concerned. What should I do? What would you do? Well, most of us in urology understand that about 60 to 70% of the time that PSA is going to drop again. PSA is a dirty test that makes a lot of noise that oftentimes is just aberrations. So in that gentleman, I would tell the primary care physician, pause, Repeat the PSA in two months. Maybe give them an antibiotic. Maybe give them an antibiotic in the intervening time if there's some symptomatology to lead us down that. That antibiotic, by the way, we could get you know at five cents a pill right. uh, because we've done direct contracting with a pharmacy distributor. And so, again, another cost savings entity there. And if in two months the PSA drops, guess what? We've just the patient doesn't need to see the primary care doctor. They're available on Skype, email, text, cell phone. They can call the patient because they have a small cohort and say, hey, Joe, guess what? You're okay. PSA drops. Or the nurse who is taking care of, helping to take care of those patients who is responsive to patients because that's their job. Yep. Instead of spending $80,000 to have somebody trying to do coding for us, we can actually put financial resources towards our patients, not toward the industry of healthcare that don't help our patients. One okay. Day. So that patient has a continued PSA elevation. Yep. Comes and sees me. So the patient's now going to come and see me, but we've done direct contracting. So that patient's going to come and see me at a Price transparent, fixed consultation price. We we're setting that right now at $120 for, for a first-time consultation, again, as opposed to the 360 if they walked in my door with an insurance product. So they pay me $120 for a consultation. I evaluate the patient. I say the PSA trend line, 2.8 to 4.1 to 4.3. This looks real. You know, well, Let's go ahead and let's do a prostate biopsy. Well, again, we're going to be doing this in a cash-based rate. And instead of having to charge $1,100, $1,200 for I have a $10 disposable that I use when I do my prostate biopsy. My machine is a $36,000 machine that we can depreciate over time. $300, $350, what's the right price? And you know what? Your price may be higher than my price, which is 250 So then 
maybe you'll be losing some patience. You go, you know what? I need to knock my price down to two fifty because Shures is is charging two fifty for this. Exactly. What's that? Great competition in the marketplace, and what that does is, well, if one if if, if Doctor Shures is a much better doctor than I am, and he's charging a lower price, then I read it. Sure as heck, better drop my price if if. I feel like I'm a better doctor and I'm worth $350, then the market will bear it out. Exactly. You know, and so that, that gives us a really way to gauge the marketplace. Okay, so now the patient has prostate cancer and you need to do surgery. Ah, uh, that's, yes. Yeah, now what happens? Because everybody wants to know, well, gosh, I'm paying out of pocket for all this. Now I need surgery. What? I can't afford surgery. Well, now that's insurance. Ah. That's the point of insurance. So insurance along the way between the primary care physician, the labs, the, the imaging, because that imaging for that patient, that CT scan we would have gotten instead of being $1,900 is now going to be $300 because we've done direct cash-based contracting. So we've saved all this money along the way in the outpatient space instead of having enormous expenditures there. And then when insurance needs to kick in because there's a rare, high-cost, catastrophic event, insurance steps into that space. So this patient has a $2,500 deductible, which they paid all of that money um, to get to the point where their insurance would pay for their surgery. The same patient in a hip nation scenario may have paid maybe $500. Correct. And, and then they need something done. That's when the insurance policy, which is a insurance policy that doesn't offer soup to nuts, but it's catastrophic or it offers certain things that people are are including like riders, like they would on their homeowner's insurance. Right. This is putting insurance back in its proper space because, again, as always, if insurance has touched every one of those outpatient spaces in healthcare, the price would have gone up dramatically. And so that price is being paid by, you know, our patients. And that pr- and that ins- the hospital bill is still expensive. We haven't even touched on the fact that once they get into the hospital, those costs are still just astronomical, and that's a whole other topic, how you can drive down the costs in the hospital. Um, Lee Gross is working with the hospitals in Florida in his area right now, and they're doing contracting, global contracts like they are in the outpatient surgery center of Oklahoma, but for inpatient um, DRGs, inpatient um, diagnoses, and coming up with one price which no other hospital is doing in Florida. Right. Yeah, the hospitals are going to be our next target to take down. Right now we figure we can fix outpatient space of healthcare delivery, and, and then we can set our sights onto the bigger players. Well, we are running out of time, and I think that we've had a great discussion today. We've learned about how we can um, uh, really um, disrupt the marketplace by um, by putting patients and doctors back in control of healthcare by reconnecting them financially and also access wise. So Brian, thank you for being here today. I can't you know, I can't tell you how excited I am to be working with you and and uh, thanks thanks for your, your insight. Now likewise and, and thank you for everything you're doing and we are we are excited about what we are doing to fix healthcare for everybody. So stay with, stay, come back and join us in the doctor's lounge when I'm back in, in the host seat in two weeks and Dr. Karuchik is here next week. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.